Welcome to the Spiritual Underground Podcast. This is Dan coming to you today from the studios of DTM Enterprises, my little wood shop in the backyard, uh, also known as DTM Woodwork. Uh, I have a, another special guest every time, man. I've been able to have this uh, bunch of people coming through here. Every one of them tickles me in a different way. Uh, I've known Justin my entire time on this go around. Uh, there was a four-year period where I stumbled, and then I hit what is our current, my current home group and my current sobriety date and met a bunch of guys I'm hanging around with now. Justin is one of those. I remember seeing him. Uh, matter of fact, I'm, pretty, I'm, I'm almost positive you were in that very first meeting in Brian's basement that I was at. Uh, so just welcome to the podcast here, Justin. How you doing today, Thanks man? Thanks for having me, man. Doing great. Cool. Awake, wide open. All right. Ready to go, man. Good deal. Well, we'll get these couple commercials out of the way. Darren Frank's music's wrapped around this podcast. If you hang around to the end, you'll hear the entire song, the intro. Uh, this is the beginning of the song, and uh, you're interested in that. Uh, let me know. We can hook you up with that. Uh, spiritualunderground.org. There's a contact page there. Uh, you can ask about that music and other things like that. If, you, if I can help you with any kind of recovery questions or anything, I'm not sure that I can, but I'm certainly willing to try. Uh, there's show notes there and pictures of the people who are on the podcast, so I like to put the face with the voices. I think that's, uh, that's always helped me. Uh, I, don't, I have no idea why. I guess it's a visual thing. that I Same reason why I, I, I drive using landmarks. Uh, and go to, Chris, to uh, Amazon to get Christopher Cohn's book, 12-step spiritual recovery james christopher cone is what it's there i think if you used any of that you would get to it it's now available on hard uh, uh it's hard copy or kindle version last night we were having meetings here in louisville last night a uh, buddy of our shane you've heard his story here had a meeting here at the local uh, recovery club uh his first meeting of this type and so the movement is growing it was a meditation meeting a really good turnout last night and uh, justin was actually there uh, with about, I don't know, I, I, he counted, but I'm going to throw a guess out of somewhere 40 people at that meeting, which is really cool. And so, once more, James Christopher Cohn, 12-step spiritual recovery at Amazon. We will start out the story just like it's getting to be buggy. Um, no big deal. The bugs can live in here, too. Uh, we'll start out this story the same way we start out everybody's, man. What's your sobriety date? My sobriety date is October 10th, 2011 cool so seven a little over seven and a half years right seven and a half years october mm-hmm. yeah so uh i don't have any real rules about how we start uh i always like to tell a story you know shane started with the day he came into that it dawned on him that he needed to, that he needed this uh, oh yeah some people uh most time we always start at the beginning so yeah man i i started out uh i was born in like a middle class family mom and dad still together to this day I was born February 12, 1989, so I'm 30 years old right now. Oh. Uh, so now I get to hear all the Tim McGraw, My Next 30 Years yeah. song every time that comes on, which didn't happen Means very something. often. But yeah, so, but uh, when I was, uh, I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, still here in, in Louisville, Kentucky. I uh, had sort of like a, uh, I would say a, a generally normal childhood. I wasn't, uh, uh I grew up. My one of the one of my first memories is climbing up the steps in the old apartment that my parents were at when I was like maybe two years old. That's my first earliest single memory. And then the uh, I moved out of there. We moved in the house uh, that they're still in today uh, in Shapley. And growing up, it's sort of I remember being sort of like the skinny kid growing up, and then slowly throughout my 
childhood, it got bigger and bigger. Yeah. I was the big kid. And uh, going through uh, school, I went to a Catholic grade school, but I was raised Southern Baptist. My father wanted to send me to a Catholic grade school because he wanted the education. And I always hated it because we had to get up an hour earlier uh, than oh, yeah. all the public schools. I had to get up. And so that kind of sucked. And then so my story very much when I was young and uh, sort of what a lot of four-step inventory has been worked on uh, in this thing we call recovery is uh, I grew up, I was I was verbally bullied quite a bit, actually, um, about my weight and stuff. And some of it was my own doing. And I was annoying. I was an annoying kid, you know, that annoying kid as a child. Um, and much of that, uh, uh, sort of, it was actually so bad, like verbally and stuff that teachers, like in, in fifth grade, teachers like were showing like bullying, like videos in class, oh, yeah? education. Yeah. Bullying wasn't a thing when I was in school yet. Oh, really? I mean, we obviously got bullied, but nobody was aware and taking action the way they have in, of late. And mm -hmm. uh, So it was never physical abuse. I was bigger than most other kids, but it was sort of just like. Yeah, that kind of thing was really eating at me as a child, and uh, and then throughout my childhood, I was raised as in the church with my father going on Sunday mornings, um, and I was real involved in the youth group growing up and stuff. Um, I enjoyed my time there, um, and that sort of it was one later on about seventh grade is when a lot of the other kids started growing up too, and sort of the bullying and kind of stuff kind of stopped and a lot of those guys are I would consider friends today yeah but it left that mark regardless um and uh so I was like the kid who who could uh in in Catholic grade schools they have religion class along with English and social studies and all that kind of those classes and I was always a kid who knew where in the Bible everything was and oh so yeah would go to me and I'd be like Haha, you know I'm a Baptist you're a Catholic I know more about the Bible than you you know that kind of thing that sort of dichotomy and so I you know so Later years in grade school was a lot better. We joined football team. I was still kind of a big kid, though. I was always, I always held that resentment of like I was one of the last people. To, like every year, two, twice a year, we'd run a mile, and the school would keep track of how fast you ran. I was always in the last like three. Oh yeah. You know that was something that was there. It always got at me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Those, you know, the competitive thing has kind of got its upside, man. But for the for the folks that end up in the tail end of the of uh, the slot uh it's not <laughs> it's mm. it's really demeaning to be you know picked last on the kickball team and uh, oh, yeah. you know all that like that you know i'm sure it was a fun race and it was meant to be a fun activity but daggone when you're trailing up in the back end of things it, it becomes not so fun probably <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah definitely oh yeah so in my home life my mother father were loving parents my father i think maybe struck me and like physically struck me maybe once entire time um but there was always like this foreboding fear like uh i always go back to that the movie a christmas story after uh i can't ralph ralphie had done something really bad in the movie and then like he says i hear my father's car pulling the driveway and a wave of terror rolled over me <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that sort of feeling was there though even though he never really physically struck me or uh, abused me in any negative way like that but it was sort of he made his presence known. Mm -hmm. He was about hard work and getting out there mowing the grass with him and uh, bettering my life and going to the church and stuff. And um, so really about through that, uh, 1996, my little brother was born. Um, so he was there. And growing up with him was another thing going on. And we'll talk about later in Night Step stuff. You know, there's a lot of things there that I owed immense to my brother for. 
growing up. It wasn't exactly fair to him. He had nothing to do with anything. And uh, me being the older brother, and I think working through four-step inventories and work, a lot of it was just, you know, me wanting to feel power because I, I lacked that power early on when I was being bullied myself. Um, so basically I got into high school, still going to the church. Um, high school was pretty cool. Um, cause most people didn't know who I was. I went to end up going to public school, oh, did a you? handful of people from the church, uh, the school I went to and went through there, went through school and high school, had some pretty cool friends, played football there. Um, graduated uh what year did you move to a public school it was uh like i graduated high high school in 2007 more like were you when you were a sophomore when you when you went started high school is that when i moved to when you went to you you switched from a private school to a public school finished eighth grade okay so yeah so you went to you finished high school you went to high school in the public schools Mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty typical i see that you know that we get started in the a lot of people, my kids went to private school for a while, and some things happened and transitioned to public school. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, uh, my mom went to the same school, uh, high school, so she wanted me to go there, my, and I was old enough, my dad was like, all right, you got your education from, from Catholic grade school. Yeah. I'm like, all right, thanks, Dad. You've been fully indoctrinated. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, I had the, I had an interesting position on, and I'm sure we'll talk plenty about religion and stuff, I had, had like, you know, the had the Protestant and the Catholic sort of view of religion a lot of time when I was growing up. And so I had some good times in youth group at church, going through uh, all the high school, a lot of good friends, got <clears throat> a lot of good teachers. Um, and then, like, I remember going in my science class learning about evolution. And I remember, like, learning about what it was and uh, how it works and the scientific evidence for it. And then I remember this, like, the day where my sort of, where my faith, I guess you could say, would was wandering was when I was talking to my youth pastor and we're talking about like random science stuff or whatever and I'm talking about learning about evolution in school he's like I believe the earth to be six to ten thousand years old and so I remember that day I remember that was when I started when I commenced to doubt certain things about oh my god like I've been taught this my whole life like what's going on like this doesn't make any sense like what do you mean six to ten thousand years old and he's just like and then he throws all these weird like claims and things about how there's human footprints and dinosaur footprints in the same rock layer and stuff, and which isn't really true at all. But things like that that he would justify, and it's just sort of that sort of commenced to get me uh, on that path, on the path of sort of leaving religion. And at the same time, so my senior year of high school, I did the co-op thing where I still worked for UPS for. Uh, so I go to two class in the morning at, at high school and senior year. Then I go work for UPS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I did that for five years. Um, but during that time, um, leading up to that, where my first experience with a mind-altering substance, like when I was 16, with actually of the youth, a lot of the youth group people, of all people, we met with a, a, friend, of, a friend of mine's friend had like a shack out in Nelson County. And... We were all going to go out there and have have be, have a party out there. And that was my moment to be a part of, you know. I had this feeling of, you know, being to, this togetherness, and I want to be a part of that. And 
So we go out there and uh, I drink beer for the first time, Bud Light. And I remember not getting really all that drunk. Fairly tipsy enough to, you know, I could feel it. And then going about my way the next morning, you know, whatever. And then a month later, we go back to the same place. This time I was like, all right, I got tipsy left, so I'm getting drunk this time. And so I got trash drunk, you know, just so trash. You know, I'm walking and pissing at the same time and all this kind of shit. And, and uh, I, but still, I left there and I didn't really... Like, it wasn't really, like, I liked the camaraderie and stuff, but, like, I liked the effect, but it wasn't, like, something that I really was wanting to be invested in drinking, like, that feeling. And I know it's not because my drug of choice, which was opiates, came in my life soon, soon after, like, when I was 17. Mm. And I remember my, I had, I can't remember, I had, like, a headache or something like that or some kind of pain, like, legitimate pain. Um, my mom had Vicodin in the cabinet and I was talking to my mom about you know I have whatever pain it was would you like to take a Vicodin in mine it's fine it, and in my mind and in our family's mind like I just thought Vicodin was like a souped up aspirin right like we had no we had no idea of what of the properties of uh, oxycodone or um, hydrocodone hydrocodone none of that kind of stuff so we, I just, you know, innocently took it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there. I remember this day. I'm sitting there in my room on my bed, and I'm playing a video game, Metal Gear Solid 3. It's like a spy game, and I'm running through the jungle and camo and stuff. And if you could imagine, you're just sitting next to me on that bed, and my character's moving around through the jungle, and all of a sudden my character just stops. And then my character stops not moving because I experienced what I, would call, I like to call that wave of awesomeness, that that dopamine hit, that feeling, that amazing feeling that I would attribute, you know, to drugs for so long. Um, and from there, that moment, uh, there's so much more intense feeling than alcohol ever was before that. And from then on, it was in my mind, like, this feels fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I remember that too, man. I don't, I don't, I, mine's more in the rear view mirror looking back at it. I didn't really, now I know what that feeling was. At the time, I didn't know uh, what that really was. You know, I didn't, I didn't process it. Did you actually process this feels good at, yeah. the, at the moment? I mean, I knew I felt good, but I really didn't put it together with the, uh, I don't know that I really put that two plus two equals four thing together you know? i i'd say yeah they do I, I, I remember laying back on i remember i laid back on the bed and i was like holy crap this feels really good huh. yeah did you say well how old about uh 16 17 yeah right around there yeah. yeah it was uh just before i started working at ups yeah so i had broke my leg and when i was 19 years old and uh and i and i compound fractured my whatever the front bone is i don't remember if it's a tibia or fibia mm-hmm. Uh, and I was in the hospital for quite a while, and they were my dad was bringing me car models to glue together, you know, to, for something to do while I was sitting in the hospital, and I was getting those pain pills, and I remember being able to like just sit there and like you know just ultimate really focus on those model building stuff, man, and 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 stay up really really late. I'd stay up and I'd ask for more pain medication rather than go to sleep, uh, and but I don't. I didn't consciously see what I was doing then. I look back and I know it right now. I see that that was what that was. But yeah. at the time, I really was oblivious to it all. I mean, I knew that I was asking for the med- medication and, and, and I knew that's what was making me. I guess I, you know, I had to know that's what was making me feel good. But, but I sure didn't 
I sure didn't like put it together at any level. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to explain it. It was, I was oblivious to the actual, what was happening to me. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely that feeling is the, so yeah, oblivious to the alcohol for me, you know, that euphoric recall on that, on the, on that opiate head rush mm-hmm. is still like, I have absolutely nothing to do with drinking today. I just have nothing. There's no lure to it at all, but that euphoric recall still lingers. It still, oh, yeah. still sits there and goes, Hmm, that still, that still would feel good, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Little known to people still out there who are so sick that you, that uh, wave of awesomeness can happen in recovery. Yeah, you're exactly right. Right, and it lasts a lot longer, and can continue to last. Yeah, and it doesn't have any negative consequences. <laughs> exactly, I don't have to sell my whole, uh, steal everything from my parents. You right, know, to afford it. Uh, I sidetracked you a little bit off of that. That's uh, you brought back a memory to me, Don. Yeah, I love it. The uh, so I started working UPS, and then I got. Uh, so I had that feeling of like I knew what that feeling was of pain pills. And uh, I met somebody at UPS who I heard them talking while I'm working. I loaded feeders or semi-trucks, loaded those. And he's talking to some guy. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? And he goes, drugs. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, what? And he goes, oh, uh, OCs. I'm like, OCs, Oxycontin. He's like, oh, is that like a, like a pain pill? He goes, yeah, it's just like a stronger like hydrocodone. He's like, oh, I know about hydrocodone, obviously, you know. And so that was almost it for me. Like, I went over uh, – I started talking to him or whatever, and he's like, yeah, I sell Oxycontin. And I went over to this dude's place, and I bought some Oxycontin. And what's interesting is we're he's there, and there's a few other people there, and they're, like, snorting these pills. They're crushing them up, snorting them. And I'm like, mm. up, snort. Like, he's like, yeah, nobody swallows them, you know. It's just you don't really get a, you know, a hit from it. Was like, and I just remember thinking, uh, okay. Hmm. Like I guess I'll give it a try. Just, just, just. So he had a pill cutter. He'd cut up this pill like in quarters and shit from when I first started. And I just, and I first time just told me how to do it. Snorted up my nose and oblivion, like just feeling good. And and so that began uh, my uh, career on drugs. Um, and it, it's wonderful. It started out like a week, and kept getting to the point to where it was like not wonderful, like it's good wonderful like for at the time i felt wonderful because yeah it was right like on the weekend fact of the matter is the stuff worked really good for a while i did yeah it makes you feel good for the short time there's some fun times but yeah it, and it collapsed on you so you're saying you so you're doing it once a week and then once a week and then eventually progressed to doing it almost every day yeah i had moments throughout my you know i eventually you know lost that job couldn't stay, you know. Union union stewards couldn't do anything to keep me working there. <laughs> really? Know, just from just from uh, uh, just missing stuff, missing work, and all that kind of shit, and not showing up. And God, it was terrible. Um, so it got to the point where sort of I, I wasn't working there anymore, and I sort of had a few jobs and stuff in between there and my sobriety date. But the main thing was like throughout this time, I was in this time of from me taking snorting that pill for the first time and being sober like I I had some addictions to cocaine I had some addictions to methamphetamine ecstasy uh, special K I did a couple times did you um, I, God almighty like there was a moment in time where and there's a, it reminds me of a guy who joke he made a joke in a, he was speaking at a meeting but it's like you know if you ever want to quit pills just snort cocaine that'll get you to quit pills you know 
And so there was a point in time where I was doing cocaine for about six months where I thought, well, hell, I may never do opiates again. Like, this is okay. I got a reasonable substitute. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm no longer doing those, but, you know, <laughs> yes. I will do this. That is a, that is really a big chunk of the insanity mm-hmm. of what addiction is, is that when we switch, we think we actually did something. Yeah. You know, we're like pat ourselves on the back that we, I don't do, uh, I don't do pain pills anymore. I just snort coke. <laughs> yeah. And so what kept me, what got me off coke was my drug dealer got arrested. Oh, jail, yeah. So, and then I went back to pills and stuff from people I've met through all the various people you meet when you're out there in the madness. Yeah. Um, and so it really was like a mixture of mostly opiates, but some methamphetamine sprinkled in with, with a certain friend of mine. Um, and so throughout this time, um, losing job and stuff is getting progressively worse. I'm living with my parents and stuff in the, out of the house starts disappearing. And uh, my father's power tools, my mother's jewelry, all this kind of stuff. Um, and so the, the rationale in my mind at the time was like, all right, so I'm going to steal this uh, saw from my father. I'm going to go to the pawn shop. I'm going to pawn it. And I'm going to get, and then next week I'm going to get me a job. I'm going to get my first paycheck. I'm going to get it back out and give it back to him before he realizes Notices it's gone. Missing. God almighty, that's this crazy thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's constantly just, um, I remember uh, about two years into it after starting, doing my first, snorting my first, drug like tell my like my parents wanted me to go to college and stuff they thought i was on the track going to college and i, I gave him a, i gave him this letter like you know I, I admitted to him that i've been using drugs and like i would never do it again and they're sitting around they're like you know you know they start crying a little bit and they're like we just hope you never do it again son and like i obviously didn't quit and so from then on they were really uh their ears were always perked up to what was going on with me and watching where i was going and um just trying to do whatever they could to keep me from leaving the house for God's sakes. Like, um, so it got to, in 2009, it got to a point where they're like, we need to get you some help. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. Like I'd stole a bunch of stuff or whatever. And I would, I was like, all right, fine. And it really was just, uh, I'll do this. Cause I want to, st- I want to live here. I don't want to leave, you know? And so the, uh, they took me out to Wellstone out here and in, Mm-hmm. in Clarksville. I don't know if it's still Wellstone or not. I it? think it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been there a couple, a few times. And so at the time, at that time when they took me, I hadn't been taken as much as it had been taken. I don't know. I, it's an average amount, I guess, compared to a whole lot. And there, they, they assessed me, like, how much do I take? And I'm like, all right, well, we don't really feel like you're suitable for inpatient treatment right now, but we're going to send you over to the Brook in Louisville. I'm like, okay, this is like October-ish, 2009. And then I was introduced to recovery for the first time uh, in 2009. Um, and I went to the brook, and there was this guy that worked there who was my counselor who had this goatee, glasses, and a uh, Prince Charming haircut. His <laughs> name was James Christopher Cohn, who wrote <laughs> this book to me. And uh, so I went there, and I remember doing cocaine the night before there. And... Uh, trying to listen to music that night to fall asleep because I was nervous about going in. And this is when, when he did when it was a, he did the night class, not the morning class. And I went in to get my blood pressure taken before I went into like a little small physical before I went in and started the class. Yeah, and your, like, your blood pressure is like 160 something. I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm just withdrawing, which I which it really was still the cocaine going. But I guess if I was withdrawing, still would have been the same result. I'd been totally messed up. And so I got went and started doing the class, and then I went. Uh, 
through there. And I wasn't completely honest. I still did some OCs occasionally, oxycotton. Uh, um, but I was sort of just telling, you know, these guys, hey, you know, I'm sober and I, I looked the part, acted the part and stuff. And I got introduced to uh, our group, essentially, the guys who that we know. Um, our home group. And uh, Beckett brought uh, a meeting called Broad Highway, which was start, which was originally over in Breckenridge Lane, a small church. Um, and, and when I went there, it was absolutely packed to the gills, like because it was a small, much smaller area than we're used to. Even the room, well, eh, it's about the same size as the room we're in now on a Tuesday meeting. But everybody lined up, and I got introduced to a guy named Smitty, who became my first sponsor oh, at yeah. that meeting. And uh, I didn't know that. I joke to, I joke about him this day because you know he. He gets with me and he's like, I'll meet you at, uh, we're gonna, me and uh, Chris, we're going to go see a movie, a bunch of guys. You want to meet me up at uh, this coffee shop by the movie theater? And we'll start a step work. I'm like, all right. I never showed up. And so that was like, you know, my introduction to AA. You know, hey, mom, dad, I went to AA, look at me. And then I left. And I didn't come back to AA again until early 2011. And it progressively got worse and worse and worse. Um so from there I ended up finding my parents finally kicked me out of the house and I went to the Beacon House in oh, Louisville um, a, a lot of those guys that run that place that work that go with the Trinity Men's Meeting God bless some great saints in this program um, and I couldn't stay over there either I was working at Tumbleweed at the time being like a, a food runner and uh, going along and like not wanting to get on a drug test so I go down like I go about like down the street to down Kentucky and down up to Barrett Avenue, and I get some kratom. Which, how much do you know about kratom? Uh, enough, but I've never done it. But I know enough about it from some of our. You know, we got one buddy right now that that was his main last thing, and I know another guy that uh, really was in deep with the kratom. Yeah, see, my uh, my experience is I don't know what being high on kratom feels like because I don't know what being high on kratom. You can move the microphone to you rather than you to the microphone. You know what I mean? I don't know what being high on kratom is like because I was usually always used it just to supplement my main drug habit. Oh, really? Um, and it would help. Uh, it would help stave off withdrawals a little bit. So I don't know now. A normal person who's never done anything, if they did kratom, they probably would get could easily get hooked to it, just like opiates. It basically affects the same receptors, and it's nasty. It's like powdered up leaves. Yeah. And it's horrible going down. So, but, well, that's both of these people were doing the switcheroo that I know. You know, they were they were leaving something more that was harder and telling themselves that, you know, I'm only doing this and this is legal because you can get it in the stores, you know. And uh, so the people, the two people I know that have some familiarity with it in my circle uh, were doing the old substitution. Yeah, that substitution. But so doing that, and then I got I, at the big house, they had like a three strike policy. You get if you piss dirty, like three times you're out and so I pissed dirty the first time opiates and they sent me to the, their their policy there I don't know if it's the same today or not but they they send people to the healing place uh, detox and so that was my first introduction to the healing place it is a a literal uh, homeless shelter um, but with a program added on there for people who it's like a nine to twelve month program mm -hmm. um, you stay there it's completely free they feed you they take you to class you walk to classes all that all that good stuff but I wasn't that bad at that time, is what I was telling myself. I'm not bad enough to really go there and live there like that. 
And so I go back to the Beacon House, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm back in this recovery thing. I pissed dirty again, go back to, <laughs> to the detox again, and uh, end up uh, getting out of there, and then pissing dirty again, and getting kicked out. Um, so so you three strikes and out. Yeah, out. <laughs> Um, so my, my parents work out something or whatever. I end up going back to the brook again. This time I'm inpatient. I actually did inpatient. I'm there for like eight days because I, I still had health insurance from UPS for a little while. Um, and then the I went in there inpatient. I went to Chris's class again. And I did a little better, I guess, overall. I, very soon after I got back in, this is like in early 2011, I think. And I started going to the meet, back to the meeting with the guys and everything, and um, didn't really quite work out for me. Obviously, still sort of being dishonest. Um, there were times where I was in a meeting, I do drugs in the bathroom, grind it up, put it on on the sink, and just put it right up my nose. Come out, hey guys. Yeah, it's a trip. <laughs> right in there with us. Yeah. Oh man. I don't mean us the like madness. me, but the. The community, community, us. Mm-hmm. And so... <laughs> what a trip. It got... So it kept progressing, and I ended up stealing some checks from my father and Ooh. credit cards and all this kind of stuff, and they ended up finding out. And uh, eventually they're like Chris, my sponsor now at the time. The sponsor, not my, wasn't my sponsor then, but he, he was when I first got sober and is again today, uh, Mike... He was like, you're in it right now, man. Like, And every time we come back, Chris would just smile at me. I hope you're done. hope you're done. Each time I'd come back, you know. Um, so my parents took me back in for a short while, and then I find, they find out about all the credit cards and stuff and the checks. that they I guess it's like a month span. And they're like, I just got back from a meeting with uh, – there used to be a candlelight meeting on Wednesday nights that we had, our group had. Um, our good friend Eddie had drove me there and he drove me back home he was my sponsor for a little while huh. then you'll find out if I, I didn't know that yeah I didn't know that either um, so he takes me home and then they they I come home and they're all looking at me like just like what how much do you, you got where's my credit card and I'm like how much you spend on I go $700 and they go ah oh, my just crying like oh that's that's it i'm out i'm gone i was gone they call eddie and like and eddie and go drives with my mom and dad and we're going and they dropped me off the hill in place i was dropped off i was completely out of everything um so i go into detox again i'm like i go on the program there uh my my poor grandfather who had uh my mom's side my mother's father i tried to he had a stroke in 97 so he couldn't talk to i could understand everything you're saying his, his like right arm was kind of like in a clenched fist sort of the rest of his life. Um, I go over there and try and steal money from him and stuff and all that you know throughout this too. And when I uh, when I on the weekends when I was in the program, my first week in the, in the healing place program, I we all on the weekends we have until like 4 p.m. to get back. If we're not back, we're out of the program, you know. And so during that time, I left and went to my grandpa's house, stole some money, went out and got some drugs got high and a guy who's an absolute saint in my eyes uh, named Brian was there who worked there at the time he's like you're high 
like you can tell, like opiates, you can kind of tell when people are high. Like if you're in a dark room and there are people that are real small, you're, you're high. Like, and he know he knows. And he was like, you know, if, if you don't tell me, then, you know, it's going to be, uh, you're going to be discharged and you won't be able to come back for a year. And I was like, yeah, I'm high. So I go over to detox again. So this is like my sixth, like fifth or sixth detox in my life, you know, and I remember laying in that detox bed and like think looking up at the ceiling and thinking like I can't do this anymore. Like this is not working. And I've got to give something a try. I gotta do something different. And looking back I took step one for the first time in my life. Hmm. Right there in that bed. And uh what was yours like? Do you remember? My first step? Yeah. Or the moment you decided to what was going on wasn't working. It was that deal where I didn't have any other escape route. I thought I was going to prison. Mm-hmm. I thought that I was, in, I, you know, it, like I shared that it was six to 20 years is what they told me. And that wasn't enough to jerk or not my tail hearing that. But as I walked down the path, cause I said, it couldn't happen to me. Same way we do a lot of this other stuff. I said, well, I don't know. Even though there was a fear in me that said it would, I was just like, you know, that just can't happen. But as it got down the pike and it looked like it was really going to happen and it looked like I was going to be go, you know, it looked like I was going to be sentenced to six years and serve three. Mm. Uh, I started like, yeah, looking for some other escape route. I couldn't, I didn't have any other escape route except for 12 steps. Yeah. Yeah. With your story about, you know, hiding out in the bushes or grass, is it, is this place Yeah, this is right here. Is that tree right there? Right out the window. Like that, that that rings, that rings so true for me. Branches came down and trimmed up a little bit now, so it is not as good a hiding place as it used (laughs) to be. We'll look at it when we leave. Yeah. Dan's spot. We'll just draw, draw a chalk line around it. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I remember doing all that kind of stuff too, sneaking in all the time stuff. So anyway, I, uh, so I didn't know, like leading up to that point where I took my first step for the first time, I had issues with, uh, spirituality in the program. Um, I would go like to meetings and stuff. And like, you know, I had a lot of throughout this time. And when I was out there in the madness, like I had a lot of, uh, teachers and sort of losing the faith in the church and sort of having people like people like Christopher Hitchens, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, mm-hmm. one that uh, Nick mentioned on your mm-hmm. podcast before, uh, had people like James Randi. I know that one. He's a uh, he's a magician. He's he's he has like a million dollar reward for anybody who can prove supernatural, like psychics, all that kind of stuff. And oh yeah. If you look through stuff on YouTube and stuff, no one has claimed it yet. They haven't been able to test the supernatural in the physical world quite yet. And then people like Darren Brown who talks Darren Brown, the English guy, who's like he's also sort of a magician and mentalist. And how easily susceptible human the brain is and human beings and how we can sway people into believing certain things or having certain experiences and so all that and me not understanding or saying to people in the and my sponsor now at the time I'm saying, like, I can't get the spiritual thing. You guys are telling me that uh, I don't stay sober. My higher power keeps me sober. How can, and I can't get the higher power thing. I'm fucked. You know. And they're like, your problem's not a second step problem, dude. You haven't worked the first step. You, you haven't, you, the steps are in order for a reason. And so me taking that first step uh, in that detox bed was me saying, all right, what I'm doing isn't working, what I've done. I want to try. I want to give an honest try to do something that I've never done before. And so I got a sponsor 
I had a sponsor for like two months or so, um, and that ended, ended up working out. Still in the healing place, working through the program. Um, healing places, you go, you wake up in the morning, you make your bed, you have to walk down like uh, a mile and a half, two miles to go to class, and you walk back. Uh, a good friend of ours in the, in the program, Dr. Brady, he helped set up that place there. Um, you know, they feed you, clothe you, the clothes closet there, give you a place to sleep. And so I go through this program, and I'm there in this group of guys. They're all where I'm at. And uh, somehow we managed not to kill each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, so I got – I listened to my sponsor. I said, all right, what do you want me to do? And he's like, I want you to get on your knees every morning. I want you to say this. Please keep me sober today. And that's all I ask. And then at night I want you to get on your knees, and I want you to say thank you for keeping me sober today. And this is coming from my sponsor at the time, who is a born-again Southern Baptist ordained minister. Um, and he's telling, he's not, he has the presence of mind and, like, the fortitude not to, you know, to understand my situation, not impose any sort of those religious, his own religious values on me. One of the, one of the best things he ever did for me. So yeah. I did that. I'm doing thing like, working through my steps and reading through the book with him. Uh, and about three months in, I'm looking back and I'm like, holy shit, I'm still sober. Like, I'd never been that so sober for that long in my life. And so I'm like, all right, let's. And when I got, when after that first step, like, I was on fire. Like, I wanted, like, I was like, I'm giving this a chance. I need this to work. This has to, something has to work. So I go through my first and second step to kind of my second step to kind of become like hey i'm doing this hey sponsor i'm sober i've never been sober this long that was like my second step hmm. like understanding like i'm doing this action and i've stayed sober and i have i've came to believe that something's working something and then i took i remember taking my third step we went to a church and did that i didn't really have an issue with the church the church we were in being in it's fine we needed a quiet place and uh, so i remember not really feeling much from my third step you know, and I was like, all right, whatever, I'm still doing it. So I was like, screw it. So he got me on my four step. And um, I wasn't one of those people on my first four step where I was like worried about it or lagged on it. Like I wanted to get it done. Like I had to do it. And I, I almost enjoyed it. And I was like, I'm, he gave me to do this today, this first column, I'm doing it, getting it done. And part of the program that in, in the healing place is, you know, you do, you go through the steps and your sponsor confirms where you're at and stuff. So I did that. And, uh, uh, did my fourth step, dropped a fifth. Uh, on my fifth step, I dropped with him in his house. Um, and I got some relief, but I didn't have this uh, amazing experience that uh, everyone always seems to talk about. Like going through recovery, you might have experienced too, and you're like, everybody sort of puts a fifth step on a pedestal. Like, yeah. I got all this relief, and these butterflies are, are riding beside me and stuff after I got done and all this. And, um, I floated home. I didn't even take my car. Yeah. And so I I felt like a lot of the noise in my head was gone. I'll say that. Um, but it was sort of like, well, I'm still going. Whatever. I got to get this done. So my sponsor for my sixth and seventh step, my sponsor took me down to uh, Gethsemane, uh, the Abbey of Gethsemane down in Barstown. Yep. And uh, in, in the big blue book talks about, you know, going to talk to someone of religious or what is the, what is the exact term? we would do well to talk to someone like that or whatever so yeah we talked to a monk down there who's also an alcoholic um i mean so we're like hell 20 30 years now 30 something now i think if i'm not yeah. mistaken and so i had a talk with him chat with him for a while just about 
just bullshitting, like talking about, you know, what I want to do and, you know, in the future and where I was and where I'm at now. And, um, and then my sponsor's like, all right, once you get time talking to him, you won't see me. I'll be around, but you won't see me. I want you to walk on top of this big old hill. It's got a big cross up there. And I want you to take your seventh step. And so after I got talking with the monk, gave him a hug, I walked up to the, uh, walked up to the hill and I had to get down on my knees laying down like in a laying position just like you know the Japanese you know they bow then they have their when they get all the way down the ground like their head touching the ground that's like the ultimate sign of respect like that's how far down I was like and asking God to remove what I thought of God at the time I just used the word God and like saying to relieve me of this the body of the self uh being there to remove these character defects that I can and I remember standing up and turning around and I had what I would call my first ever true spiritual experience where this where this new wave of awesomeness rolled over my body I stood up I turned around and this wave of just awesomeness came over me and I smiled I had this smile I couldn't stop and I started walking down the down the hill and it was the first time throughout this whole step process where I said I no longer hope or think or guess that this program works. I know this program can work yeah. and I know I can stay sober and so uh, so seventh step on the hill there on the cross at Gethsemane is when you had had your aha moment yes hmm. interesting that's probably a good point not a point I mean it's, it's, it's sank on me it's like I have certain things I want to hit on when I talk to people during this podcast and the aha moment. Mm-hmm. And some people don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. God, I remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, yeah, I can tell. I can feel it. The, uh, so, yeah, the, and then going down the hill and my sponsor talking about to his friends, like he's smiling his, to his cheeks, he's about ready to, you know, he can't help himself anymore. And, like, I was just feeling good. And I was like, I knew this program can work. And uh, so from then it was really f- awesome. I just kept going to uh, uh, meetings and, uh, and eventually uh, graduated from that program there. I actually sort of lied to the people there. My, my sponsor is a little bit slower with uh, the steps than they wanted me to be to mm. get out of there. So we we sort of just told him, like, hey, he's doing this. He's completed his 12 steps, whatever. I really only like my ninth step. But I, they couldn't keep me there much longer, so we had to do sort of a gentleman's lie. Um, but I – I remember sitting in front of the board, like whenever somebody graduates a program, everybody sits around. I sit everybody around people at the hill in place, the people in charge and stuff, and they vote on whether they think you're good to go. And I was told, and I just told them what I thought and what my experience was. And I know that the 12 steps provide a a path to solve every problem in my life, not just drugs and alcohol, which is one of my favorite quotes in the big book. It's quite as important was discovered that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. Yeah. Spiritual principles, steps. And it's not just about drugs and alcohol that this 12-step program works for. Yeah. And. Yeah, I just said that today in the, well, a couple of times, and I said it to a guy who's having that. We have those group meetings, and one of the guys had one of these little revelations, and he's fairly new. And, you know, I, I thought I was coming in here to stop drinking and drugging. And the fact was that I was had a pretty shitty life, and I, and I was looking for something better. And that's what this gave me was something way better, you know, yeah. and it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I really was, you know, I was convinced I just needed to stop drinking and drugging. 
But what I really needed was a freaking way to learn how to live. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's what 12 steps gave me. And then from that, uh, I get to do things like this, you know, this, yeah. the woodchop, the podcast, the retreats, the all kinds of other stuff that I get to do in recovery, help other guys, other guys get sober. You know, hell, there's mm-hmm. nothing better in the world than help to be giving this to somebody else when they think they're early on that they're just trying to stop getting drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, man, but you can't tell them, you know, that's not, you know, they don't, that doesn't make any sense to them at the moment. They have to have their own experience. And, and then later on they do like I did and go, Hey, yeah, man, this is way, this, uh, to quote my buddy, Earl H is the circuit speaker. You heard it, Earl. Listen yeah. to him. Uh, this goes so true. much further than drinking, just not drinking and drugging so much further. Yeah. The guy about speaking his truth, who was criticizing A, that guy. Hmm? Wasn't he like criticized a little bit in A for speaking his truth, Earl, that guy? Bob Earl? Yeah. Yeah, that's a different guy. Yeah, Bob oh. Earl is one guy. This other guy that I have that I like, his name is Earl. I think his last name is actually Hightower. I maybe shouldn't say that, but I think it's Earl H. Hmm. And uh, he's a really good. If you haven't talked to me, and I'll let you, I'll, I'll send you a link to his talk. It's really, Hightower really good. Tower is my dad's mother's maiden name or something. Oh, like that. Really? Yeah, down in Kentucky somewhere. Yeah. The uh, there's another speaker around from this the local area's last name is that too. I can't remember what his first name is. People talk about him. Yeah, and so like with everything you just said there, like that, all that stuff makes human beings feel good. Every human being, not just alcoholics and addicts. Yep. I feel and I found, you know, um, and I understand today they don't. There's so many people are just, you know, ignorant of the fact that we're that especially alcoholics that we're different than normal people. Yeah. You know, it's it, give or take. You know, ninety percent of those Earth people out there that aren't like us. You know, they can't. It's hard for them to understand. They can have sympathy, but can they have empathy? You know, and. It's it's been a great struggle for a lot, but thankfully, you know, like when Silkworth came along, you know, he, he described it as an allergy. He didn't really have the science and the data to really understand where we were. Now today, we know it's it's a big factor is genetics. Yeah, you know, and listening to Doctor Drew and guys calling in like, I don't believe it's a disease, you know, and then he's like, Well, you know, we've actually found like three or four different genes, you know, A one allele. There's a couple of other ones that that do test and they show propensity of like childs of alcoholic fathers and that. That some of these children have two of these genes, 100% guaranteed to have alcoholism. Mm. You know, and that factor and understanding that about acceptance that I am different than most normal people, and I want to feel like I shared yesterday. Like I want to feel better all the time. Like if I don't have drugs or alcohol, I need something to have a payoff. Yep. And AA didn't have a payoff. We'd all we you know what would be working, no doubt. You know, we wouldn't be doing it. And so I really, you know, really just like today, like anyway, going back to my story, the uh, I graduated the program and I was instantly like, like I'm going to start sponsoring people. Like everybody's told me that, you know, you sponsor guys, you you stay sober. Like, yep. And it's it, working with another alcoholic works where all other things fail, you know, out of the big book. And like I was explained to me like, hey, you know, well, whatever the things fail, well, I prayed it didn't work. You know, I went to a meeting, it didn't work. Like, all these things that may not work, working with a guy will absolutely help. So I sponsored some guys, and um, anyone, you know, who, who has been to the 12-step and sponsored someone, like, like seeing the change and 
feeling that you know that that energy from that person changing is like is as unlike anything any we have ever experienced like i remember doing my first hearing my first fist step and i felt like i was more nervous than he was yeah you know because going into you know and even today like if i do a fist step with the sponsee it's like you know i always go in like how am i how in the world am i going to help this guy how in the world are we going to find am i going to be able to help this guy find character defects all this kind of stuff and but every time it works out yeah you know and uh there's all it isn't you know i have truly enjoyed working with guys i don't really have an act a truly act a new guy right now which i really hope to change that my most recent guy was tony he just celebrated two years he's doing pretty good um so yeah really it's sort of like oh yeah i will continue going through some stuff i do want to share uh talk about the uh, we got a lot of time the um so when I got out of the Hill in place, I worked at uh, for a security company. A guy that uh, had a brother who I knew for the, through uh, the men's group on Tuesday night. I went to before the one I go to now, and he got me a security job. Worked third shift security. He uh, hired a lot of alcoholics, and I was about the only one of the one in maybe ten alcoholics he hired that actually worked and showed up on time and didn't like skip out. You know, go back to the madness. Um, and so that worked. That went pretty good. Had a couple of raises there. Um, I still going to meetings, sponsoring guys, doing the whole deal, having a good time, and then so I started getting back into the cigars. I got into started getting into cigars uh, soon after uh, uh, getting sober, and uh, I never did smoke cigarettes, so I feel good about that at least. But um, so I worked uh, security full time. I go to my meetings uh, at eight o'clock in my security uniform for a long time and go to work that night and then so i started eventually got a job working uh at a cigar shop because uh, i love cigars and the guy would be there fairly often and I always seemed to know a little more about cigars and a lot of other people and stuff and a guy who was working there left for macedonia on a mission trip uh and so i asked if i could help out working and i started working part-time and doing that whole deal and uh two years ago uh, two and a half years ago, I got full time, and a year ago, I'm managing the whole place. Yeah, and uh, I think yeah, it doesn't matter. It'd be a commercial for where is it here? Where is it at? Where's the shop? It's the corner of Spring and Market in on Jeff. Jeffersonville. Spring in Jeffersonville. Yeah, okay. Right, you can see the flood wall and Ann's old. Uh, it's not there anymore now. They finally closed it. Uh, yeah, they had old store that had the train that went around. The, yeah, the Annie's or whatever Annie's. I can't remember what it was called, but I know what you're talking about. It's one of the places I used to hate to go out to eat. My in-laws and their family liked to go there because, and I didn't like to go there because there was no alcohol at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can't y'all pick a place where I can drink a beer? Yeah, uh, and then uh, so yeah, my 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 boss, the owner of the shop, saw something in me to to take the risk and hire me on, and uh, yeah, and uh, I'm so grateful for him and the um, when. Uh, He's all, he is a he's a he's a person in recovery. Um, how I don't know how I describe the best way I describe him is that he, like uh, he doesn't really go to active meetings, um, but to this day, like he owns a we have a cigar shop and a bar right next to each other. He owns both of those. To this day, like he doesn't drink at all. Hmm. Uh, when he goes out to tastings for bourbon, like when we get our own barrel, all he does is sniff the bourbon. Huh. You know, and he's he still has his a keychain with like NA tags on there and stuff. You really? know, so, um, and he's like, you know, you can't really. It's hard to own a bar if you drink a lot, you know. And so, 
Um, but you know, one day maybe I'll, maybe you could hear his story from him one day or something. Who knows? But yeah, it would be cool. Uh, I'm grateful for him so much. You know, for trusting in me and to do my job there, and you know. I do my best to show up on time and be there and be a normal, you know, upstanding person in society and helping people out. And, you know, the majority of the work, it's not, it's not like it's manual labor for me, Yeah. you know, it's just, and I get to see all sorts of people, you know, and it's almost like a consulting job, isn't it? You're, in a way, you're yeah. doing, people want to know about cigars and you have the knowledge and just so happens you run the cash register probably while you're there, but yeah. that's a sideline thing. And you know, the people coming in there to gain, um, the knowledge and experience that you have yeah and the uh i used to think that uh if everyone smoked cigars on the planet there'd be no wars uh, but uh having worked in the cigar shop and hearing all the debates of political debates in the cigar shop and customers i'm like no that probably wouldn't yeah, work. Work. yeah. <laughs> so uh because yeah, that's kind of like one of the stereotypical thing of sitting around smoking a cigar and having the the, the discussions mm-hmm. yeah discussions and uh it's no secret, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more on the left, and most people smoke cigars on the right, and so oh, there's yeah? a little bit of that. So I wouldn't have known that there was a uh, tendency. Yeah, it, it generally, in general. Uh, not all, obviously. Yeah, right. but, yeah. Um, so, here, yeah, really here in the, um, here, here in the last, I would say the last few years, like, as far as recovery goes, I've sort of taken on that Bob Earl, like, thought, like, speaking my truth. And like, sort of like, uh, I don't know, you remember, like sort of sharing more on spirituality and things and where I think, what what my thoughts are on it. Yeah. You know, and I stuff like, that. like that. And uh, your shares have always caught my attention since I've known you. Oh. And I've, speaking my truth, like if you like, uh, you were there, it was when we were at, when I shared on, like, you know, I wanted to sort of emulate the the meeting that you hear about in uh, Dr. Bob McGood old timers. Like there was a meeting that everybody set aside each week, Bill and Bob to have to talk about more spiritual matters. And this is before AA even started. Yeah. They were still part of the Oxford group and they're having this own thing. And they're like, and they're getting this deal that the people in the Oxford group aren't getting, you know, and eventually that helped inspire the AA we know today. Um, and so I just wanted, and I remember to, uh, I had a topic that like I just want to speak our truth and I went into the thing like you know what what is my higher power like um I had issues you know throughout my life obviously I believe in one thing for most of my life and not believe it the next and I basically shared in that meeting on the topic I was like you know you know this is what my higher power is like I honestly don't know what my higher power is but the idea to me of like a omniscient uh other outside the physical realm that's watching everything I do 24-7. I would never have a moment's peace, you know, and asking me to constantly grovel to him and pray to him all the time. That sort of look, that feels to me like a divine North Korea. Yeah. Like the, if, It'd be like living in North Korea to me. So, And I never really liked the, that idea of something that's watching me all the time. And I wanted to sort of share that truth, my truth with those people there and it ended up being a really good meeting and people being honest, you know, and ultimately understanding that, you know, AA is sort of where the multitude of beliefs and thoughts like can meld and not meld because we don't generally talk about them all that much and we really don't, and it's true that, like, you know, we really don't care what you believe. Right. Um, 
But there's also a little bit of like a, a taboo in a way. Like there is even for me, like sharing my what what I think. Like I'm I'm one of the least religious guys there. I guarantee it. The uh, but sharing my truth is almost kind of like a taboo in a way of people sharing oh jesus christ did this you know yeah, right because we i always have the newcomer in mind and how is that going to affect the newcomer well there's this you thing know? there's this dynamic and i don't quite understand it but it seems that to me that when somebody is like presenting their point of view uh and we have to and i'll put myself in that boat because i tend to lean that way even though as much as i know that this is not maybe what's going on i think it's like evangelistic kind of thing where you know because you're sharing your truth to me mm -hmm. that i have something in my head that tells me you're trying to convince me of that i should have it too yeah. and that's not the actual fact you know and now and even when it comes to stuff like uh you know it's one thing when you get to jehovah witnesses and they're, they're knocking on your door and they're trying to convince you in a sense and I, maybe they're not though i go hey maybe they're just sharing their truth in a way that's just different than mine and i don't have to look at it like they're trying to push something on me mm. you know that's that seems to be the, like when anybody brings the christianity thing to me I instantly and that's a bob earl thing anytime you bring something that's working for you to me i instantly reject it mm -hmm. completely you know i'm mean, like nope i got my thing it doesn't matter and i even see it and i joke around with it you can even bring a damn plate full of cookies around and go would you like one and i go no thank <laughs> you i'm okay and uh and and so I watched that, and another thing that's come to me is that you know this the thing about the AA is that you know I and I and I and I bang this drum a little bit uh, is that when I got here I was really encouraged to develop the higher power of my own uh, uh, my own conception, and I was really encouraged to do that, and that made no sense to me because I didn't know that was actually possible. I thought I had to get into somebody else's box. That mm -hmm. was the whole thing all along, and like you said, I felt this need to like I felt this pulling or something I, I don't even know where to put it but i felt like i was being uh, maybe even coerced mm -hmm. to get into these other boxes now i think it was faulty logic at some at some level i think it was just people were offering yeah. me like something what i said like you guys were telling me higher power keeps me sober but i don't yeah. believe it so what are you you know trying yeah. to pull me some way so i was honestly encouraged to cultivate this relationship with this higher power that i didn't understand and i could make it up myself just like i had pulled out the silly putty out of the egg and i get to form it and make it the silly putty whatever shape i wanted to make it my higher power and but even better than that what happened was is, is that i started developing this higher power if mine didn't match you know i was able to have mine and you didn't reject me for whatever mine was that's mm -hmm. where like we don't you said something about we're allowed to in a way uh i see i don't remember what word you said about we don't you said we don't even care what yours is you know uh and, and i like it but more importantly to me is we don't reject one another for what we what our idea of a higher yeah. power is you know but i still find myself put walls up i and, mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm fairly evolved and actually one of the uh, uh surprisingly the uh what the the day we started our meeting or the week before or two weeks before we started the meeting right now and uh, we were at the tuesday night meeting um i don't know how much it played but like there were people that were sharing in that meeting certain ways and certain, I don't know, some a little bit religious, but it wasn't just that. It was a multitude of things. And I see our good, our friend Chris and Darren and Brian and I think maybe our friend Brandon staying around a, in a circle after the meeting. And I'm like, I'll just walk up there and they're like, you know, like, what do you think about doing it? My basement's open. Like, what is going on? Like, they're thinking about, they wanted to start a new meeting and get away from sort of what was, what really was sort of standing in the way of their spiritual need to grow, you know, at that meeting. And so we commenced to start in that meeting. 
And uh, so I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, you're but, one of the founding members there too, huh? And it yeah. is, we can say it all. I mean, I don't... No, I try not to say people's last names in here. That's about the only thing I try not to say. Uh, I, I have a little bit of thing about saying AA, but but I don't really know why. I mean, that's just where I found it. So I, I don't know. it'd be like saying, you know, if it was, uh, you know, if I found my favorite socks at the Kroger's or the Walgreens or the Walmart, you know, then I can't sit here and say yeah. <laughs> those names. Uh, I get the anonymity principle, but I think it's a little bit antiquated personally. Uh, yeah. I'm out there. Uh, I started doing a recovery podcast and broadcasting to the fucking world. Yeah. Uh, my anonymity is blown, and now I can't say these two letters, A, A. Uh, mm-hmm. but, well, then you have the dichotomy of uh, A anonymity versus TSSR anonymity, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, right, yeah. There, no, difference, you know, you know? there is a difference, no doubt. Yeah. And uh, the way more was going, oh, so the name of the meeting is Spiritual Underground, which is the name founding member. You know, that's where this podcast, because of a bunch of people from the yeah, Spiritual Underground. Yeah, we can Underground, thank our friend Patrick didn't... for doing the tying vote. It was going to be Language of the Heart, almost. It was tied, oh, was it? and he just said, and I like Spiritual, I voted Spiritual Underground anyway. But, Did you? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I personally have a very... Uh, uh, tight affinity for it and since it was a bunch of spiritual underground people were uh were, were responsible for starting this podcast mm-hmm. uh that's was also the name it was adopted on this and uh, i don't know how kosher that totally is but that's what it is now yeah. and uh we didn't really ask anybody permission to right to to, to use that name mm-hmm. uh Anyway, it's uh, we were my whole point there was is we was kind of dodging around the formation of that meeting and and how you it came about. I've heard the story about, you know, was, there were some perceived guardrails in a particular other meeting that mm-hmm. seemed to be keeping some people inside of lanes. They didn't feel that their spirituality needed to be stayed in, mm-hmm. needed to be walled into, and they decided they wanted to do something a little different and uh, uh, open up and share. And we say we share stuff in here that's fifth step material not to be shared outside. Yeah. And you do hear a different level of sharing in that meeting than I hear in any other, except for now the TSSR stuff. And uh, in that, I, I'm hearing some, you know, I'm hearing sharing at the same similar kind of levels in, in these meetings. So that was my first TSSR meeting. I can't, <clears throat> I can't ever make a Thursday meeting because I work. I'm working. So it was very interesting to me to hit, see some people not being sure what to say, their name, yeah. or alcoholic or whatever, you know. I just like, you know, I'm Justin. How's it going, you know? Yeah, I like that too. That's what I, I say some different things. I said, I'm one of them too. Yeah. Whatever that is, I'm one too. I'm part of yeah. today. So, uh, like, you know, yeah, today is just, you know, I'd say one of my greatest struggles and triumphs at the same time is developing a higher power, you know, in a a recent time. And, you know, um, I I have my own thoughts about certain things. Like, like, so, for example, when I first got sober, my first year and two, three years of recovery, I was like, I'm going as spiritual as I can. Pull that out in front of you a little bit going. Move the microphone, yeah. I'm going to spiritual. I get in a way where I don't want it in my face, and it feels like it's in between me and you in a way, but I think that's just something you have to live with. Gotcha. Yeah, so I was like, I'm going all out. I'm going to do every spiritual thing I can. So I met our good friend Darren, and he introduced me to a plethora of spiritual techniques and ability and things to you know sort of play with and uh, things like Reiki and uh, the stones and things like that. And uh, um, sort of what happened to me was – and, and Darren has repeated this before, uh, but both me and him both were in that, I think, in that meeting when he heard Dr. Brady say, you know, we want to be careful not to get so spiritual you can think you can actually take a drink. Yeah. 
which at the time I actually sort of like when I was doing like all this meditation stuff with 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 him and doing the I was like this feels so fucking good I can do anything that thought crossed my mind yeah. like and anybody who probably does meditation and recovery probably who's gotten into it like it's like it's just this overwhelming power that it's like wow like you know hell if I took a drink why would it matter you know that sort of thought like I'm so spiritual now and so I sort of backed off a little bit on overall spirituality in a way like I uh, Reiki in itself is is interesting and I, I, anyone who practices it I don't have a problem with but it's when they start trying to heal people like of like ailments and stuff where I kind of get a little weirded out by it because the fact of the matter is if it actually work it worked to heal people's like you know things we wouldn't have doctors you know we'd have people would be out there healing people all the time of ailments that's when it gets a little more people trying to make money and things off of that and stuff because there's just no evidence right now to confirm that that actually happens people get like a lot of uh man like when i talk about darren brown like the mind is the thing that people really get into the point where you know, we, f- we can get that high and feeling and we might feel cured for a while, but it ends up coming back. And so I'm a little weird about that. And, the, and like the stones and like these things here, like, like it's fine for me. Like if you, if you feel like they have a spiritual energy or whatever energy in them, but, um, there's no way to confirm that energy actually transfers from these to my hand for me. Mm-hmm. So and what he's talking about, I have some of my own symbols I make in my wood shop sitting here, so that's what he's speaking of at the moment. Yeah. Most of the time, I have some, and the reason I don't have my crystals in here is because I took them inside the other day uh, when I went over to the yoga studio. I had packed up all my podcast gear and went and did a podcast with the mm-hmm. yoga studio owner Sunday, and I didn't take the crystals with me because I usually don't take them on the road, but I usually have everything in that tub here, and they're yeah. they're outside. So I, I so I do. I'm one that subscribes. I've watched I would just say that I subscribe to that there's energy in this stuff. Yeah. I think there's energy in this table. I think everything is made of energy. Physically, yeah, obviously it's made of atoms and yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's something to that. Now whether what it really does for you, uh I fall back to that um you know because I've I've generalized I've I've been allowed to broaden my thoughts on a lot of things beyond the narrow wall. Hmm. And so like when it says things like um and I'll say that like where I get where the beginning is when it says when we're going to do a four step out of the big book and it says we're going to put all the people that we're angry at. And that's what it tells you to do. That's the instructions in the book. Hmm. Make a list of everybody you're angry at. Doesn't yeah. it? I mean, and it doesn't say anything else. Well, when I did a four step, I was guided to do a four step of everybody basically that had an impact on my life. Not just angry. The people who were that I was that was maybe a- nice. You didn't jump. That has happened before, and I knew I needed to turn it off, and I forgot. That's my air compressor uh, kicking on. So, uh, and I'll just preface that with uh, this podcast is real. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't have uh, edited, and we're not highly produced and all that. So so I was allowed to, what I was encouraged to broaden my definition of the word resentment into something mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily it's a whole bunch of things it's people i harmed it's people that's harmed me it's people that get on my nerves it's uh people who have formed who i am today like moms and dads i would have told you the first time i went through the steps that i wasn't mad at my mom mm-hmm. i wasn't angry you know and he said put her on a list anyway yeah. and uh so to to, to 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 like tangent from there what i also look at is like when i say okay i get my own conception of a higher power right mm-hmm. so like 
I get to conceptualize that these things have power. Yeah. You know, and you don't reject me because I've done that, right? I was about to say. And so, like, and same thing with the crystals. And I do believe there's a little bit of a placebo effect in everything. Mm -hmm. I think what I think will work, will work. Mm -hmm. I think I have some, I think I have some power to manifest my stuff in around me into things that to happen around. I think I can voice things to the universe and they can come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying I can do like rub on the, the genie, the, the Aladdin's right. lamp and make shit happen. I'm not yeah. talking about magic and I still don't understand this, but this wood shop is one of them. I've always wanted this. Mm-hmm. And it manifested. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so let's uh, just to take it just one little step further. Like, uh, what meditation is to people? You know, there's a lot of ways to meditate, right? Mm-hmm. And we kind of have a thing where we think we sit with low. You know, so like last night, it was low lights, trying to be quiet at the meditation meeting. Although there's ambient noise going on around us that. Uh, that, yeah. that is uh can be bothersome Chris is the only smart one with the earplugs yeah yeah i saw as i come out and i saw that he had those on that was a tremendously smart idea no doubt mm-hmm. uh, yeah he's a he's a he's a smart guy um uh, mm-hmm. but i get to have my own conception of what meditation means to me so mm-hmm. when i start talking about this terms of my own conception of when mm-hmm. we said you know it was limited in the beginning to my own conception of a higher power mm-hmm. but i get to broaden the definition of that into my own conception of lots of things, mm-hmm. you know, and it gets to be a little bit like, oh, so you just can make some shit up there. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do. I get to make up my own fucking rules today. Mm-hmm. And the way, I mean, the way, like, so we'll take the example of me on the hill, for example, my spiritual experience. Like, so I, I'm on the hill. I have a spiritual experience. How do I go about determining how that occurred? How do I go about determining, did it come from, come from something supernatural to come from something physical the truth is i don't know and for me to claim that i do know i think it would be ignorant of me. again yeah you know and so i try to be as honest with myself as i can and i'm, I'm very much someone who's based in the physical world and a lot of things that i do and um and so in meditation i can go close my eyes and get peace i have physical reactions while I'm meditating and it makes me feel good um and so the best and I can't determine whether what those things make me feel good are supernatural or or physical and but I don't want to take the jump to say it's supernatural right now because I don't have the evidence for that right now and so I'm ever in the pursuit of finding and, and, and finding the evidence for those things but it hasn't quite really f- came out yet for me yeah on that, I think, on that you know, so like i would like qualify that i would put that in the category of continuing to enlarge my spiritual life mm. that's you know continuing to keep your eyes open continue to be open yeah. to whatever this stuff is continue to allow because like you said you know even though maybe you're not have you ever had reiki performed on you yeah, yeah. did you get any kind of sensation out of it a little bit yeah yeah i get a pleasurable sensation out of it a lot mm. like I, i've have taken to allow i i get massages every three weeks Real ones, yeah. High, deep tissue massage. Uh, it's good for me. I think it's good for my tissue and my well-being and my body. I think it moves things around in me. I think it actually helps, like, displace energy. Mm-hmm. And if you want to say, like, a, so if I wanted to, like, actually qualify that, would be, like, um, in a sense, some pulled up tension yeah. and, and things like that. And I'm able to move that energy around so that I can discharge it and get it into my endoc- endocrine system and, and move it along and process it. 
it also feels good. The girls got cool energy. Uh, you know, I'll be completely on the frank about this. You know, when somebody's rubbing on me, it feels good. Yeah. You know, Frank definitely. did uh, Reiki on me as I laid on this table after the last podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, whenever he was here. Yeah. I think it was uh, yeah, last it was last Wednesday. And I felt good when he was doing Reiki on me. Now, I didn't tell him anything, okay? Right. I didn't tell him. I didn't lead him into anything. And when he got up, he said, there's something going on in your shoulder. And he's right. I have pulled a bow that's too heavy for me. And I, for almost a year now, I've been nursing and having an issue in the shoulder. And he stood up and got off of me and told me there was something going on in my shoulder without me leading him to that information at all. He also said that something in my chest is very hot. I've been told a number of times that my heart chakra is strong and flows powerful. Uh, I'm drawn to the color green. I'm drawn to note F. Uh, I didn't know this stuff until I started allowing myself to be open to it. Mm-hmm. So I believe that's what he was feeling in my chest also, I believe. But he told me those two things unsolicited. Now, the heart thing is a little could be a little new agey a little you know a little right that but the shoulder is real uh that that's a bow scale that blue thing that mm. bow i bought a couple of bows from a guy and i shot one of them he told me they were both 56 pounds and one of them was marked and one of them wasn't and i went out here and shot one of them and i was like man i kind of like this thing man i shoot traditional bow mm. and i picked up the other one i had to make strings for them or uh, they didn't have strings so i actually had to string i made flemish twist strings for them and i had them strung up let the strings relax and i picked up the other bow and I drew it just like I was going to draw the other one, you know, mm. and I was used to it, you know, used to that 56 pounds. That's what I draw normally. And when I did, man, something went whack when I pulled that bow back and I'm still, I'm still having issues with it. Um, but he, he felt that. I've had another couple other times when people did Reiki on me and I had the same kind of experience where I didn't tell them what was wrong with me mm-hmm. and I had a little ache or something. And they, they told me and told me where it was at. Uh, said, I felt something in your ankle. And I was like, yeah, I twisted it just the other day. I'd sprained my ankle running someplace or doing something, tripped on something a, a few days before, and it was sore, and they knew it. Well, so see, my, my thing would be like, well, all right, fine, let's get these Reiki people to do that and test these people out and see yeah. how many they can actually. Now, that one thing they didn't say, they didn't claim to be doing any healing on me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there was no claims of, like, make anything better. Right. Uh, they just they just shared their experience with me, and they picked up some energy. Right. You know, uh, and I don't know either. You know, I don't. Um, there's proof that placebo pills will work, right? They've actually done studies where they will prove that. Oh, yeah. if They tell you this pill does this, and you take it. Oh yeah. Uh, so that's some that's so that maybe it probably falls into that same category as mm-hmm. what I was seeing. Some of this manifesting my own stuff, so I can. That's where I'm getting a little bit, you know. And it gets to be a little hoity-toity. It gets to be a little fruity uh, on it. But uh, the healing principles of, you know, if somebody tells me they've healed me, if I believe it, uh, you know, Frank has had some ailments that are gone now. Yeah. And some other people has got some ailments that are that have disappeared. Uh, you know, I don't really know exactly what's going on. I will... I can, I can, I can guess like my, my lower back problems that I actually have documented by MRI, which were a golden ticket for some pain pills at one point in my life, yeah. uh, have been eliminated. But I believe that's through a practice of, of yoga. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really the truth of the matter there is, is I've built my core up. Mm-hmm. I've strengthened my core up so that that 
pro is not a problem now. The muscles around that area are compensating and keeping that from being uh, being a problem. Gotcha. Uh, so I don't, you know, it's it, it's it is. It's funny. It's it's. I'm I'm open and I'm open to like discussing yeah. and 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 not poo pooing any of it. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. but I'm with you. I'm also a bit skeptical at times. Yeah. I mean, I like to keep like like what our the physicist Lawrence Krauss says. I like to keep an open mind, but not so open. My brains fall out. Yeah. You know, so, you know, it's just like we have someone has a claim, you know, we do someone feels better after having some sort of spiritual thing. How do we go about, to, about demonstrating that that's actually what happened? Yeah. And that's where I want. That's where I'm, you know, where I concern myself with a lot of times. And ultimately, is it, it can it be harmful or not to another person? Mm hmm. You know, uh, just like not, not, you know, forget Reiki. You look at all the the preachers who go out there and hit their heads on people's face, and they pass out, and they the people who haven't walked stand up, and hell, a week later when the uh, all the adrenaline runs off, they're back to where they were. Hmm. You know, um, so I just there's obviously you know the fact is you know I don't think it really does anything other than placebo effect personally. Um, until someone can demonstrate to me that it's something other than that, you know, I'm still open to that evidence to come through. But you sitting there, Dan, like, how 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 well has it helped you so far? A whole lot, like in a lot of ways, and it makes you feel better. And me as an alcoholic, I want to feel better all the time, and it sure as hell is a lot better than drugs and alcohol. Yeah, you know. So, but yeah, that's sort of where I land on that in a way. But yeah, it is. It's uh, it's nice not to. It's nice not to argue about it, you know. But I do. I tend. I tend to. I tend to fall in that Bob Earl thing where he says, you know, if you, uh, when you bring me something that's working for you, I will instantly. I'm instantly skeptical about it anyway. He mm -hmm. says, you, well, I will reject it. But maybe I don't so much reject it. Maybe my my instant tendency is to go, is to doubt, to be doubtful. Yeah. To be skeptical. I base my life a lot on on doubt. You know, a lot of things and yeah. doubt first. You know and find out what trying to do my best to find out what's true and what works and because i didn't think the 12 steps would work for me and pragmatism a 12 steps working through it and uh i'm still sober today it's freaking awesome the uh so and also just looking at like you know other you know other people in the program and in life you know i try to keep myself way i keep myself rational is you know like what Jordan Peterson says, like assume the other person knows something you don't. Mm -hmm. You know, I also add on to that. Remember, they're also a primate, just like you. <laughs> you know, we're, we're human. We're human beings on this planet who had, or who had the evolution of having a consciousness, and that we're different. You know, we're still mammals. You know, and so, which by the way, I'll get this out of the way. Jordan Peterson's, uh, a lot of his work is very freaking awesome. And uh, helpful to a lot of people. I'm not a fan of his political stuff at all. I can't stand him in his political field. But despite what people on the left may want to think, a lot of his psychological stuff is very good. And I love that Russell Brand when he talked to him about twelve steps and they went through each step and stuff and talked yeah. about that. That was yeah, fascinating. It really is. I just love listening to it. I feed my head, you know, and I don't have to today subscribe to every single thing somebody says, but. Uh, I really like, and I just I I, I instantly reject anything political today because I am apolitical. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some there's some uh, teachings and programming that I am not shucked, you know, because yeah. I am a I don't I don't really know how this come about. My dad is pretty liberal, really liberal, mm -hmm. uh, but I am not. I lean the other direction. Uh, I lean to be conservative. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't really know where that comes from. I, I don't know. But today I like, well, when I got that felony, I thought they got me off the hook and I thought I actually was going to like get my golden ticket there. You know, kind of like my golden ticket for my pain pills in my lower back. I thought I had a golden yeah. ticket to where I didn't have to deal with politics anymore. And then somebody informed me that actually the fact is in this state of Indiana, uh, you can still vote when you're a felon. Mm. And I was like, well, damn it. Uh, I didn't want to be able to do that. But I decided, you know what, man? Uh, it was working so good for me to just check out all that because I don't watch any TV. And the fact of the matter is that people will tell me that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm neglecting my civil duty to, to vote. And, and you know, right now, I am not qualified to vote, man. I am so checked out yeah. that I don't know anything about the issues. I would just be punching a button, and I think the that's only time actually I really. I watch news now is if somebody happens to have it on at work. We yeah. have TVs at cigar shop. That's about the only time I ever actually watch news. When I go someplace and the TV's on, it actually gets on my nerves today. Like I go, like go to the dentist and take the kids to the dentist, and there'll be a TV on mm. to entertain the kids, and especially to be some kind of SpongeBob or some kind of nonsense of that level. And, and I cannot deal with it or I'll go someplace and there'll be a news on and, and on the TV, go sit down at McDonald's or something and do step work and there'll be a TV on and it just gets on my freaking nerves just like a, I don't know really how to even say a crime baby or something, you know, it's just, yeah. but I can't, uh, I just don't, I checked out of the process. And, and that's okay for me, you know, yeah. uh, but I do. So I like when you say Jordan Peterson's and his political views, I know he leans conservative, mm-hmm. but I really don't even pick any of that up when I listen to him. You know, I, I don't even like, it's not even like something, I don't know if I'm mentally filtering it well, or yeah, so, if I subscribe yeah. to it. So it, it's, it's, since it's not against my natural tendencies, because I do believe that too, mm-hmm. you know, how he says some stuff about how we're naturally like we're born at some level to lean certain directions politically. Mm-hmm. Do you, is that part of the, like what you agree or disagree with? Oh, well, obviously, the way, the way you grow up, yeah. And, well, I mean, what studies we know about. You know, those big five trait tendencies. He says if you're, you know, if you well, you test that, that's really not something. Now, I guess I don't really know the answer to that. But if you if you take that test, have you ever taken his test? You can go online and take it for free. Okay. His who are you? And you can do see where you're at in that big five trait stuff. Mm. And uh, and so I've done that, you know. And, and he says, you know, by where you're. And, and I'm sure some of that's nature and nurture, mm. but he said, where you lean in those traits will cause, you know, that's the way you will lean politically too. Mm, gotcha. um, I don't really know, you know, uh, to some extent it starts to sound like sort of like when we're like, we may have some genetic shit yeah. that causes you to lean politically yeah. to certain ways, you know, cause, and, and I don't doubt that, but I don't totally hear it. So since when he's speaking, maybe since it doesn't go against my natural grain, let's say, then maybe I don't like pick up on it. And since it does more lean and it goes against your grain, then maybe it makes you, that makes you more aware of it when mm-hmm. he's talking. See yeah. what I'm saying? And also he, like in his YouTube videos, there's a distinction between a lot of his psychological stuff and his, you know, like, like you've seen the videos where he's teaching his class, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff's great stuff. Mm-hmm. I love that stuff. It's lecturing class. Yeah. So, yeah, I like it too. And I listen, you know, they pop up all the time because people have taken the sound bites and collecting them up. So I was listening to one today, you know, and I just get hopped up. Yeah. You know, I'm like listening to it because I hear this stuff about like this uh, self, uh, you know, taking care of yourself. You know, you are responsible for for making your stuff happen, you mm-hmm. know, and which gets a little bit, you know, that's also, am I leaning on a higher power or do I do, you know, and, and we say the program is a, you know, I'm going to be relying on this higher power, but it's a program of action. So you got to do some shit, you know, and I don't really know how I, I, I do, but I can't like tell you how that works. I don't really get it. I know that it's working for me. I do a lot of stuff. 
Mm-hmm. I do a lot of participation in my recovery. I get some unique ways to do it like this. Yeah. And what Nick and, said was that Nick was saying like, it isn't, you don't want to do it, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. And it's like that, that when I first came into the program, it's like, uh, came around before I got sober. I'm like, how are all these people staying sober? And I'm not. And then now it's sort of reversed in a way. It's like, you know, how am I staying sober? And they aren't. Yeah. And it was, and Chris sort of put it out like, you know, well, the people stay sober, did the work. Yeah. You know, yeah, and like getting I, to that point of where there's like that, for me, I had that gift of desperation, you know, of wanting to try something new. And everybody has some form of a bottom, it seems like. And most people, everyone I've met who stayed sober any long, any long amount of time remembers that moment. Some people may be a little more foggy because when we first get sober, we don't really remember. <laughs> don't really know where we're at or whatever but yeah that's some of the things that's one of the cool things about doing this with a sponsee like some of the sponsee my sponsees who have sat at the other side of this table uh, i know some of the early story story a little clearer than they know it mm-hmm. you know because there's if they were still fogged up and they've got some idea yeah. about how certain things happen I, chase has chase and i have some uh differing things of how how it how it happened in the beginning with him and i but uh yeah. and, and both of them is okay it's nothing that it, none of it matters but it's interesting that uh so i i when i look back i'm a little careful too about making certain assertions because i'm not sure that just like you said earlier i'm not sure i'm right and that's a cool thing to be today right yeah. i really like the fact that i don't have to be right today and that's that i can the, that's fuck some big, things up and i can be wrong and and, and, and that's it's a big okay. thing for me like the the word you know the words i don't know is not it's not a bad thing no it's actually great like now we as humans hate not knowing things yeah i but, need to know you know and it's okay to say i don't know today yeah. and i'm okay with that like but again, like I, I'm a little guarded on making the claim of something in the affirmative for certain things and whatever. And I just say, I don't know because yeah. I don't have enough evidence for it at the moment. And, you know, and when I and, and I can say about myself that I, when I know something, when I really do, then that means I do. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not out there saying things anymore that I don't know. You know, I may be pulling your leg. I am a big uh, I'm a bit of a joker, joke, jokester and tell you something with a straight face, even though I know I'm not mm-hmm. uh, telling you that. I see you keep on looking up there. We are on a time thing. OK, I'm just making sure I think uh, um, one thing I do. There's two things I want to speak about. One of them is, is I had a big uh, not in my step work, actually, but I had a big experience up on top of that hill, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, after I'd already been through the steps and I couldn't go down there because I had that ankle bracelet on. They wouldn't let me go to Gethsemane when I was in my step work uh, with Christopher the first time around. The first time we went down there in a December time frame, like we do every year, go down there and, and have a meeting. Uh, I was encouraged to lag behind and reaffirm my seventh step up on the hill. And uh, that particular day was one like it, like you know, you never know what you're gonna get around here weather-wise ever. You know, I'd like to say a certain time of year. You know, like it's springtime, you never know what the weather's gonna be like here. Yeah. But you'll know what the weather's gonna be like. You may not know what the weather's gonna be like anywhere. I don't know. They say Southern California, it's just so steady that it's steady Eddie all the time. But here it ain't. So on this particular December, it was pretty cool, uh, but it wasn't cold like it could be, and the wind was just kicking because you're up on top of that hill. And when we were standing around in our circle with our arms around each other doing that prayer work at the end where we go around the circle and pray uh, and, and really just whatever people just speak out to whatever they want to speak to uh, you almost were holding each other up you know yeah. and you could feel the wind gusting and people were moving with the wind and and you know you was bracing yourself against the guy next to you and everybody was standing up there together 
And when I went over and everybody went down the bottom hill, I did like you and I knelt down. And I was a little self-conscious about staying behind because I was still new enough that I cared like what y'all thought about me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and I, but I did. I knelt down up there and I had my big book with me and I and I opened it up to the seven step prayer and I read it and and I did a little free form and whatever that is that I do, you know, prayer or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, and and free formed it and and it come to me all of a sudden that the wind had completely stopped that it was as still as like if i was in a freaking globe or something mm. and it stayed that way for a number of minutes and i and then it just had that rush over me mm. that feeling the tingles the some people the kundalini i don't oh, know yeah. do you get that chills and stuff because i've been starting to ask oh, yeah. people about that because i get them so regularly that I assume everybody does, but I'm actually have talked to a few people that's like, I don't it's know like what you're talking about. Meditation here that my ear, my using my when I'm at my ears will kind of get hot. Uh, like, yeah, I, I get a tingling in my body, an actual palpable tingling that is like a buzz. It's like a, it's like that euphoric rush of when the chemical it was hits definitely you. Definitely the same for me when I, I had my experience. Yeah, yeah, and so I get those fairly often. I get them sitting here doing this podcast. I get them mm-hmm. when I'm doing some woodwork at time. I get them really often. I get them when I'm sitting when. Um, when I'm sitting with Robin, mm. I get those those tingles that I'm just like, yeah, man, I am like right you here. You have the same experience with your dog outside. You'd be all right. Yeah, if I could get that damn dog <laughs> to do the same thing, I'd be really hopping. Uh, so I had that up on top of that hill, and I've heard of a number of people up on top of that hill who have experienced things that, mm-hmm. you know, some kind of supernatural, something another. I don't really know where what category to put on it, but people have had these experiences up on top of that hill. Uh, the other thing that I want to talk about, and, uh, and, and I'll let you, you know, there's some things when I'm in this podcast I want to hear about is some of it's like childhood stuff and how you grew up. You've talked about that. I think that's important. Some people like skip right up to like they're drinking and things, you know, and, 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 and you know, I think I was formed. I think some things, ha- I not think, I know some things happened to me before I ever took my first drink that shows that I have this mental difference between me and other people. I think that's important to talk about. Uh, obviously, we, we always want to talk about the story of this thing about recovery and what brought us to, you know, yeah. where we where we are and and our step work and that kind of thing. Another thing I always try to encourage people to talk about is uh, I call them miracles. I know some people think that's words a little strong. Uh, some really great shit has happened to me yeah. in recovery, and I think it's good to beat on that and talk about that. You've shared on a few of those. Uh, but there's one particular day that, uh, you know, one of the things that, one of the things that we get to do is we get to survive some things that I would have said were not survivable to some extent. And then you hear a lot of people talk about, uh, talk about, uh, Chase talks about, you know, that he always had this thing out there that like when a certain event happens, that's going to allow me to drink again. Like if this ever happens to me, I won't, you know, that'll be my ticket, my golden ticket again. Or, you know, and we all, and I think we all have this little bit of a, like a dark cloud behind us in a way that we kind of have this thing about, man, if the worst thing ever happened to me, I don't know if I could survive. Yeah. I don't know if my recovery would survive. Now I've had some pretty rough shit happen to me in recovery and I've actually not spoken about the one on the podcast, the one bigger, biggest one of them. I would kind of hesitate to do it, uh, for, re- for some personal reasons of somebody maybe hearing this podcast that, uh, that, and, and I had to watch out cause yeah. I, I, I don't know where to go with that. I know it's going to come out sooner or later. I really do. I know it's going to, but one day I was coming to a meeting and I, and I specifically remember this and I hope it's okay if I talk about it. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I specifically remember coming into a meeting one day into the spiritual underground meeting on a Tuesday night with some shit on my back. And I actually thought I was considering doing a burning desire on my problem that I had of the day. And the fact that right now sitting here, I got no idea what the hell it was. 
I don't know. I know it was relatively small in, in the grand scheme of things. I, and if I remember right, it was something like a bad day at work or some bad days at work, or maybe it was a girlfriend problem. I can't remember. It was something of that nature, you know. And I walked in, and you had shared that you'd lost your brother. Yeah. And and time after time, I came into the meetings with my little problems, and somebody else would make my problem really small really quick. And that was one day that I actually was impacted. I remember I'm fogging up. My eyes are tearing up a little bit just thinking about that day because it touched me. And I'm like, you know, and I like that. That's why I don't have any idea what my little problem was because, bam, you came in and we get to do that today. And what I see, I have a vision of that. And it happened to me one day, too, when I came in and I had a problem that was way bigger than anything that I could ever even begin to think I could manage. And, uh, and what I felt was the loving arms of a group of men come underneath of me and basically hold me up yeah. and allow me to stay sober and allow me to actually do way more than that. I actually process a particular very traumatic event in my life mm-hmm. in a way, and actually uh, I was in a freaking healthy fashion. <laughs> and it actually in a way where I got an opportunity to help other people. You know, it was beyond just being able to do what I needed to do to stay okay. Yeah. I actually was able to, when I presented my thing, uh, I actually was found that it helped other people do it. So would you want to share on that event? Oh, absolutely, man. Yeah, the um, uh, three years ago, my brother passed away. He uh, was 19 years old. His name is Bradley. He, uh, he was shot and killed by his, one of his best friends. Uh, to this day, I don't know. We don't know what really happened, whether it was an accident or... It seems the evidence there, the scene and stuff, is pointing more toward an accident. He, uh, the guy who did it, you know, called the police on himself, essentially, and was like, you know, this happened, but we never really heard. Um, so, this is when I was working third shift, so I went to bed, and an hour after I went to bed, I was woken up by my dad, and my dad was like, you know, my... Bradley, he's been killed, shot and killed. And so people think about when losing people is like a dream, you know. Well, it was literally felt like a dream because I would just, I only had an hour of sleep, and I'm like, I don't even know if this is real or not. So I go upstairs, and the uh, the, the coroner's there, and the uh, the policeman officer's there, and they inform us, you know, he's gone. And I remember sitting there with my family and crying with them for a little while, and the next thought in my mind was literally like I have to go, I've got to start calling people in recovery. Yeah. I am eternally grateful for this program for giving me the tools to in that moment have that thought. Yeah. Um because when we talk about the practice and these principles in all our affairs, that's exactly what we mean. It's not not being mad at the person at the red light because they're not moving forward when their light turns green. Yeah. You know, those things help us practice this. It's for these events that you're talking about now is when the tools come in and actually be fucking real. Yeah, and so I went outside on my deck and uh, started calling people, everyone I could think of, um, call boss and stuff, and I was off that day and went to a meeting that night. But... Um, the love at that, you know, I went, I went to, it was a, it was a Saturday or Friday or Saturday night. That Friday or Saturday was a day, I can't remember which day. But anyway, I went in there on that Tuesday meeting. Of course, most people had already knew who I, who I talked to in that meeting about it, but sharing on it and just literally what you said, like suffering with me together, you know. Um, and I wish more people in recovery had that. 
Yeah. And a lot of times when new people come in, it's like, I don't like this meeting or that. It's like you have to find them. They're around. One meeting, you know, just because the meeting is close to your house doesn't mean it's the only one. Yeah, and that's probably not it either. You know, I found that kind of goes into this, whatever, this little spiritual axiom of going to any length. Yeah. It's usually not the closest meeting to your house. <laughs> right. Not to say that it can't be. But. Yeah. So I, uh, part of, you know, I'm actually working. I haven't done a four-step since that. And I'm actually working on a four-step now through TSSO. I just finished my fear tutorial. I got my six, and that's it for my four-step. Very cool. So <clears throat> I've been very diligent about getting my, doing a calm a week and then getting whatever. So... That'll be interesting when I get to my fifth step and actually talk about it. But, like, my – what's interesting, I don't know if – I have no idea if this is because of the program or not, but, like, ill will and ill feelings toward the guy who shot my brother don't really exist. Yeah. And I don't know why. Yeah. You know, part that. of it has to do with, like, you know, it probably was an accident or something, you know, because um, it's inside a house. It, it, they could have been playing the gun. I don't know. Um, but he never said nothing about it. I, of course, if you have an attorney, he's never going to ask him to say. He never did. He got uh, the grand jury decided there wasn't enough evidence to actually indict him a murder. So my mom has filed like a wrongful death sort of thing because it's in his house or whatever. But from what I talked about the cops and stuff, like it could have been absolutely been an accident. And that four step prayer, you know, like that this could be a sick person. You know, how can I be of service to him? You yeah, know, man. just like. <laughs> And it's so weird, like, like I didn't feel too bad overall about it, but, like, I felt bad about not feeling bad, if that makes any sense a little bit. Like, because I felt like my parents were t- my parents definitely took it way worse than I did overall. Um, they don't, my dad sort of have a, has a program in, in a way, and he's been sober uh, 20, almost 30 years, about seven of it in, with the program, I guess. He quit drinking, but he never went to a program till later. And he his sponsor was a guy named uh, Dick B uh, at the Trinity Men's Group for a while. Um, but I think I know him. Yeah, and so I'm looking. Did he moved to Florida. Yeah, well, I think he he lives in a winter town. I don't know if he permanently moved there or not. Yeah, it's got to be the same guy. Yeah, so I um a lot <clears throat> just looking back on that time, like. In that moment, like it was just, it started with when I first got sober, my sponsor said, I want you to call me every day to where it gets normalized. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Because now when I call, when when I know, I go, what do I do? What do I do? I go, man, I got to call some people. And all those techniques that was ingrained in me in early sobriety. Because you practiced. And then my sponsor, he's doing it to me when, you know. Yep. I have the same rule. Call me every day. And I want it to be in a time frame, too. I don't say just open up and call me whenever. Yeah. So the thought of drinking and drugging never came up through any of that. Yeah. Which is, all right, I'll say, you know, it's partially a miracle. That is miracle stuff. You know, miracle stuff. Um, and so during that time, there was never a point in time where I was like, I need to feel better. So I want, I'm thinking about drinking or drugging. It was like, I need to call people to feel better. I need to talk to guys in recovery. I need to, you know get really wrapped in into the pocket of the people around me to make me feel better and that's the ultimate triumph of the the program for me yeah right that is uh whatever something is doing for me what i wouldn't really i don't i couldn't uh what i couldn't do for myself i promise that i wouldn't be able to move through those kind of things in any kind of reasonably healthy manner 
without this program. Mm-hmm. Uh, do some kind of, you know, I've given some talks and had the opportunity to do that a bit. And heard you say uh, something about, uh, and I don't really know exactly how you said it, but I, I found myself in a talk saying, I don't know how that happens. A couple of number of times when some things were happening, I was like, I don't know how that happens. Yeah. You know, and, and, and this is a similar kind of thing. Uh, some of it's like a muscle memory thing. Some of it's almost like a training. You know, we are somewhat trained, and I'm glad. Mm-hmm. You know, as I practice these things in my life, I become trained to, to be okay with calling people because that certainly is not in my nature to call and reach out to people. Yeah. And now it is. You know, I spend a tremendous amount of time on either texting or telephone calls yeah. uh, or in contact with people at some level one way or another today. Um, the fact that you... Uh, you didn't have to be mad at this guy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a that's that resentment thing we talk about. That's that broader. Now that is actually the term in the in the Alcoholics Anonymous book of being angry with somebody, as far as a resentment definition goes. Yeah. Uh, he, but yeah. we, and make no mistake about it, his name's on my list. It came up when doing needs to be. Thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely, but no doubt. Yeah, he needs to be on the list. I'm not saying that. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of people, you know, that's that. When in doubt, write it out, man. We process yeah. this stuff and we put it down, and that way it doesn't end up being a thing, right? Because right. we do have this tool to put them down. Yeah, man. Yeah, if you that guy needs to be on the list. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I said, you know, nobody will hear this yet before, but I have the eight step lead tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and to me, the eight step lead is all, the eight step is all about forgiveness. And that is the instant thing that comes to me whenever that thing of being able uh, of being able to forgive that being my reflex today, you know, rather than my reflex of rage, uh, um, conviction, Mm -hmm. the judgment, you know, all those kind of things being my reflex when something like what you just explained happened, not to mention the people in the car that don't go when the right turns green. Uh, (laughs) But. My, my 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 instant reflex today is forgiveness for these folks rather than those other those other attitudes. And that man is just such an easier way to freaking live, you know. Yeah. Uh, a lot of it. Uh, what I think you're talking about is that mindfulness. The uh, yep comes with that mindfulness and contemplation. Like a lot of that. Uh, so we tell ourselves. So today, like someone cuts me off in traffic, I, I I've trained myself to think like. Well, what's this guy going through right now? Yep. Is he on his way to the hospital? Is he on, I don't know if that's what he might he's just doing. lost his job. He might he, be in late for something stuff. big. It's they might have just called him. Yeah. And, and we can do also the same thing. Somebody just might have called him and told him his damn brother's yeah. passed. And so now we can do the same thing in a positive manner. When I smoke a cigar, I can stop and think about all the two hundred different hands that went to make it the cigar where it's from, the people who made it and the flavors I'm getting. I can do it in a positive way too. Yep. You know, the mindfulness yep. contemplation, like. Yep. And, uh, and I can never remember if I'm right unless I'm right, unless I'm seeing it, but the tick non hot or tick hot non, it's one of the two. Hmm. It's hot non or non hot. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, I need to do something to trick myself into remembering that. Do you know who he is? He's a monk from, uh, he's a Buddhist monk from Vietnam. If you don't know who he is, you should look him up. I don't. Uh, he's like in the vein of a. Uh, What's his name? Tolle. The Power Now. Eckhart Tolle. Okay. You know who he is? No. Uh, I don't know who Wayne Dyer is, but okay. I don't know. So he's, 
so he's about he's all about mindfulness so he talks about a lot about the drinking the tea the same way you just talked about smoking a cigar about yeah having been mindful about where my tea was and it grow on a plant and people harvested it and processed mm. it and, and then i made the hot water and steeped the tea and now i get to sit and enjoy this yeah. wonderful cup of tea and it gets to warm me because i'm chilled and and just really 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 cool stuff he does a lot of uh, meditation stuff that is uh he's dying now apparently his health is pretty pretty poor but uh like a walking meditation mm. meditating while you're walking and, and a lot of you know, mindful type of, of things i'm actually i'm a, I'm a little more partial to guided meditations in general. also the uh also found like I, I might i might actually get a mat or something for monday i I like actually laying down flat on my back and meditating a lot. Yep, um, I'll do that. Know, and that at least that seems to me when I really get into uh, more of a uh, and a guided meditation and stuff and sort of getting that imagery going. And uh, so I don't know if our good friend Joe Rogan still does that uh, submersible tank or not. I think he does. I think he has one. Yeah. I think he has one in the studio. There's one down here in New Omni too. I've been meaning to get there to There is? Oh, wow. Yeah. There's one in Louisville too. I didn't know that. That'll be interesting. There's a uh, there's a term that I've lost, and I need to look it back up again. But it's like a desensitization or a d it's something about like being like completely non having no senses happen when you're floating in that tank. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called. I want to say decompression chamber, but that's what has you get into when you come up from scuba diving and you got the nitrogen in your blood has been released and you're going to yeah. get the bends uh, <laughs> if you don't go into the decompression chamber. But there's yeah. a there's some there's some term that goes with that uh, with that, but I really want to try the one out down here. It's a, there's a yoga studio downtown and uh, in New Albany here, and they've got the, the their next door neighbors have uh, have one of those. Huh? Mm. And, and it really that reminds me, I need to I need to write that down because that'd be a really easy thing for me to do one day in the middle of the day. Right. Just laying good. down and, and doing that. Uh, we meditate on the mats like that on yoga mats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think there's any, you know, I, I, I balk quickly at anybody saying this is the right or wrong way to meditate. I will mm-hmm. balk really quickly. Oh, yeah. You know, even like when I listen, I like some guided meditation to tell you to make sure you sit up straight with your spine straight. Now, yeah, I can understand what they're telling me. You know, that's why yoga is actually what yoga, you know, yoga, the poses of yoga were were meant to strengthen your meditation posture. Yeah. That's like what when I met, was, met with Darren uh years ago and doing, he had a little meditation meeting he had going on for a uh-huh. while and, and, Brian, and the uh, he's like if you fall asleep it's okay yep we don't care <laughs> I wonder what that is you know and uh so yeah just that time just taking setting us that time to calm that calm you know mo- that constant movement in my head it's me that's gonna make ultimately gonna affect how out. I feel yeah for the day and that my dad still to this day has it sign on his uh mirror you know you're looking at the only problem you will face today yeah you know and uh i'm really you know doing this deal here now and having that meditation meeting and uh, it's definitely going forward in a positive way yeah i always think uh i don't know what well, i guess from my engineering background and my mechanical aptitude is like a bearing spinning and bearing spinning really really fast you know and, it, and it's okay that it does that but if you will like stop it once in a while and let it rest it, it increases its lifetime by a lot mm-hmm. and that's the way i kind of look at meditation 
is that my bearings up here are racing most of the time. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't really deal with like racing thoughts. I really don't, but I mean, my head's moving. I'm thinking about shit. I'm pretty mentally active dude. Uh, but, but when I meditate every day, I give it a rest for a minute. Now, some days are, you know, uh, some days are more restful than others, Right. but I'm giving it a chance and I'm at least slowing the RPMs down on it for a period, mm. uh, every day. And I, I like the, I like the bearing, yeah. uh, metaphor. That's good. So, but yeah, absolutely. The, um, so regardless, the, uh, meditation thing is absolutely, I, I feel is absolutely compatible with pretty much every type of religion or non-religion. It doesn't whatsoever. have anything to do with it. Exactly. Um, and so like what I was talking It'd about be like earlier, saying I have something I've, I've got a philosophical problem with sleeping <laughs> good lord the, uh, saying you have a problem with meditation for some philosophical reason is the yeah. exact same thing yeah and I, it really does you know what's funny what Nick was talking about how that was like his parents thought it was like Satan or the devil right like, yeah because he's evil like, god almighty the uh, and so but yeah really we're on that like any new guys like speaking my truth like you know, ultimately, there's other people who probably feel the same way I do. Yep. Just like there's other people who feel the same way about someone else. If someone else has a certain viewpoint, there's other people who's new in recovery who feel the same way they do. And ultimately, uh, uh, if somebody has a problem with what I say, then they're going to put my name on their forehead. Right, <laughs> yeah. It's like, so, yeah, I'm actually going to be doing uh, the topic, open topic, uh, after, next week or the week after. An open? Yeah. Now, I can't even tell if that's a stinging bug or if that's just a... Well, just do you see what it is? I don't know. It looks like a stink bug. Yeah. Stinging. I mean, like if it's a dangerous. No. You know, I had somebody in here one day, and there was a wasp, and I can't remember who it was, but it might have been Travis or somebody was stink allergic. Stink bug. And it uh, and he got a little lit up a little. Got a little I don't remember if it's Travis or not, so it may not have been him. Uh, but uh, whoever it was was got a little excited because there was something in here that could sting him, and he was uh, highly allergic to stings. Oh, wow. And I understand that, right? So that's why I'm a little. Uh, that caused me to be a little bit more sensitive to like this bug that's in here right now because yeah. I don't want uh, that be no good for the podcast. Where was I? I for... About uh, open lead. Open lead, yeah. So I pretty much decided like I want I want people to sh- I want to ask people to share what is my most profound spiritual experience, and really. I want to challenge people to really sort of get out there and like speak their truth. If they think it was Jesus Christ or if they think it was something else or whatever or Buddha or I want them to share that. Yeah. And not be afraid to share their yeah, truth. Right, right, man. Yeah, doubt, man. And because So like, you don't really care what their story is. You want you want some people to to, to, to be truthful. <laughs> yeah. And the um, And vulnerable. That's another thing about getting that stuff out, man. That takes some vulnerability to unpackage that in front of a bunch of people. We yeah. talk about some pretty deep stuff, but man, there's still some some layers that are tough to get into. Yeah, the uh, and so the new guy, and I think ultimately in the end, if, if it's, see, there's a new guy doesn't believe in any of that stuff or thinks it's think all of us are just spiritual crazy people or whatever. Like the variance of what I guarantee we will hear is going to show, like, hey, guess what? We're we're telling you the truth. We don't give a shit what you yeah, believe. This in. is very well rounded. Yeah. And so, what a blessing it is to have a bunch of people to sit in a room and discuss those kind of things with, you know, and have those varying opinions. And, you know, and that's why I try to listen to see what I can pick up. You know, mm-hmm. I, I really have. Uh, and Darren taught me how to listen at some level and helped me coach me into being able to actually lock into people and be open to what they're actually offering. What a saint that man is. Yeah. yeah. Rather than doing my old thing of wanting to, you know, be skeptical about what everybody says. And one of the things is when, you know, uh, 
Uh, he says he didn't teach me this. I don't really know, but I lock in, man. I try to like if I can possibly even get eye contact with somebody while they're sharing, I try to freaking look at them. And one yeah. thing it does is it blocks everybody else out. Mm-hmm. One of the things I want to do is like see, look around to see if somebody else's reaction to what this person said. Yeah. So then I like, man, just, is what my sponsor think about that? And I want to look, glance over and look at him. You know, well, I just resist that temptation and mm-hmm. I just stay looking at the guy who is talking. Yeah. And, I, and even if that means I had to turn around in my chair. Uh, I, I turn around in my chair. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's just a tool for me to stay to where I'm listening and stay engaged. Because I can. One of the flip side of that is, is the opposite of that is, is that I can come into a meeting and not hear a damn thing too. Right. I can spend that whole damn meeting up in here thinking about what I may or may not say or what I should do or, mm-hmm. you know, all the multitude of other things I can be thinking about and I can miss a whole meeting. <laughs> so this right. allows me to be present and be mindful as i'm engaging in this uh one hour i get to sit with a bunch of people and and, mm-hmm. and share ideas yeah and you think man all them guys in there are just awesome and sharing that stuff like it's just like uh i don't know whatever came of it but dr brady was talking about there's some lady in europe who was doing a study on uh like reward center people's brains before and after meetings recover i don't know whatever came, came of that but it seemed yeah. like preliminary stuff was like it's going up like they get that relief yeah yeah there's something to do with that because that's this thing i used to say when i like when you're early in and and it's really hard to stay sober day to day right in a meeting like i would have a static that raised up in me this unease the disease the 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 irritable restless discontent all the other dis, all the other uh mm-hmm. descriptions of what that feeling is would rise in me as a day went by right i get into a meeting and whew, it come down and that would like buy me enough time as that feeling crept up and crept up and crept up till tomorrow's yeah. meeting, right? And then it would come down again. You know, but the peaks and valleys started leveling out. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't get up as high. This, that that restless and stuff didn't get up as high. And that, it kept on going lower. Mm-hmm. You know, and then before long, you know, and a, the bad thing about that is, is then I start cutting back on my meetings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't need them anymore. Yeah. Uh, I don't need that level of well, care. One of the easiest things to do is not call my sponsor, I think, you know. Even though I, even though I'm trained to do it pretty well, right now I'm sort of getting calling them once or twice a week. Right now I probably should do it more. Um, I'm slipping on that. I have, still have some comp- communications with my, but for the longest time of four years, and uh, for the most part, and then four years, uh, for the most part, I've talked to him every day. Sundays we get we we have an agreement, standing agreement that we don't unless it's something and that's emergency. That's another another. If if you're talking about what I'm talking about on Sundays, like. I found it invaluable to have a day a week where where there's no recovery, no. It's just sort of I get my me time. Yep. But For me, it's like video games or something, and I love doing. You know, that's a just, biblical, uh, a biblical uh, thing of the Sabbath. You know, I mean, it's the same same thing of take a day of rest a week. You know. Yeah, and I think, and I don't mean to say that it's Bible. What I'm saying is, yeah. it's ancient spiritual teachings. Mm-hmm. Me time, yeah. feel good. Unwind, spend some time. I know with Chris you, likes playing video. South Park video games. He likes those games; are pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it does does a, it does a intrigue me that he is a video game guy. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. the first thing I am for me. I just don't get into him one bit. Yeah, I mean, like right now, I can when I, when like later on when I leave here, I can go home and be a Jedi Knight in the Old Republic, three thousand years before in the movie, some yeah. uh, video game, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, different kind of bug well man we are approaching the two hour mark 
So one of the things I'll try to offer is if you have any concluding things you want to say, I try to keep them. One thing is, is like I've said before, and I'll say it again on this. I don't know if I've said it out loud on the actual podcast or not. That's about as I sit here and drink something, whether it's tea or water or whatever it is, coffee. And uh, about about two hours in, I need a bathroom break. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is it gets to the level I have more of my podcasts are host is free. I don't pay anything to host my podcast. Mm. Uh, and but there are some limitations on it, and one of them is a file size I can upload at one time. So if I gotcha. get much past, I start to start back. I have to start. What my option is to start backing the quality down, which I don't think you can actually tell when you're streaming it because right. uh, actually when it bits across the, I've learned it since when you especially like Wi-Fi stuff and all that, they actually degrade the quality to a point that it's just barely what you can deal with. You know that. Gotcha. So that it's so that it can be compressed and sent across the airways. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a big deal, but anyway, I have to do those things, and uh, so that just makes it good that we stick around that two-hour mark. So what I was going to say to circle back to that is I stole this from another one of my favorite podcasters. His name is Steve Ranella. Mm. Uh, so I'll try to give credit where credit is due. He does one called Meat Eater. It's a hunting, fishing, yeah. outdoors type of podcast. I really dig his vibe. Is how he, he's another one of my podcasting heroes. Uh, and Joe Rogan is the one that told Steve Ranella to start a podcast. Yeah. Uh, so he says, do you have any concluders and concluding thoughts or something you want to say before we turn the microphones off? Um, I sort of feel like, you know, when I came, when I came in a, I didn't really have much hope that it would work. I thought I had problems. I didn't really have, I had had problems. I didn't know I had, um, through the prag- through the pragmatic working of this program, through working the twelve steps, even even independent of a belief in a, a higher power or whatever, I did the work, and I got better as a result. And I could form my own opinion and my own thoughts on what keeps me sober and how some how different things keep me sober. And those twelve steps provided a way for me to feel better in place of drugs and alcohol way better than I ever thought I could and anyone else who's out there who is has a little worry about it or really a lot of people I pray that you don't be ignorant and understand and try it yourself and do the work and go through the 12 steps I mean my I'd be in a gutter I'd be dead or in prison and today I have a life way better than I could ever imagine and I can ride the pink cloud happily today, which is one of the greatest things about you, Dan. I remember the day when you were sober a couple of years, and you were, you said something you shared in that meeting, something like, um, something along the lines of like, you know, people are warning you about a pink cloud or whatever, and you're like, I don't give a shit. That's not exactly what you said, but yeah. basically paraphrasing, you're like, fuck people who, who want to say I'm on this pink cloud too high. I'm riding as long as I can. Yeah, I'm and, still riding it. And I can do that today, and I can feel good. And ultimately, if I died today, I would be okay with it. Yeah, me too, man. Me you too. Know. So that's awesome. where I sit. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm not going to clutter up the rest of this podcast with much more because that was a powerful statement. Uh, I do have my normal ending that I'm trying to cultivate. I have for a long time. I got it when I was a treasurer for the Spiritual Underground, and I actually took it from another friend of mine named Happy. Uh and uh, developed it, kind of made it my own thing. So uh, 
you out there in podcast land, the Spiritual Underground Podcast. Uh, thank you all for listening today, and thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner today. Peace out. Thank you.